good morning, everybody. I found it. Got to have my brain when I get up here. <laughs> Glad to see all of you here this morning. The Lord's house is filling up finally. Amen. It's good to see everybody together. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians again uh, this morning. Last week, we looked at the things that we have in common, right? The Lord blessed us with grace. And the Lord blessed us with his provision and many things we found there in the first few verses of chapter 1. Today, uh, we change course a little bit. You know, I believe that this chapter, 1 Corinthians 1, is probably taken out of context as much or if not more than any other chapters in the Bible. And I don't mean that in a negative way. We pick and glean certain verses out of this chapter to address situations that we find ourselves in. And that's not always a bad thing. But I would venture to say that most of us haven't read the chapter in full with the understanding of what Paul was really addressing here okay so I, I want to help us see that this morning what, what's Paul really talking about here in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 he gives us a little bit of an indication in the middle of the chapter about division and factions within the church all right that's not really the whole theme of the chapter, however. The whole theme of the chapter is yours and mine's pride. We don't, I don't even think we read that word in the chapter, pride. But it's certainly there and we'll find it this morning and we'll look at it and dissect it and we'll get it understood. So let's stand together and just read the part we're talking about. Verse 10. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this. That each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say that you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Let's pray together. Lord, bless your word on each heart here today. Father, and let us see your wisdom. And let us see the beauty of your word and, and the marvel of your knowledge, Lord. 
and let us know that you've spoken to us before we leave this building today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Last week we looked at all things in common. Today we look at division. That's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. However, it is necessary that we see uh, what Paul is addressing here. The problems that arise in churches, in families, in workplaces, all stem from a common denominator, and that's pride. And so Paul wants to address that. Certainly God wants to address that today with you. Back up in chapter 1 of verse 1, we see that this letter was written to all the saints everywhere, not just to this church. Okay, it's written to all of the believers everywhere. God begins the chapter with, uh, Paul begins it with the thanks for God's provision. He begins it with how we've been blessed with things in common. Verse 10, he then begins a call to unity in the church. He sets a standard for that unity. Let's look at verse 10 again. Here's the standard that you all agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be made complete. A good word for that would be mature. That you be made mature. And you be in the same mind and in the same judgment. So Paul shows that disunity is a contradiction to the gospel. All right? When a church or a family or a workplace uh, is divided it is contrary to the gospel message. And then he also shows that unity is a manifestation of the gospel. That when we see a church, a family, a workplace united, that we know that the gospel is present in that home, in that church, in that workplace. The gospel message strikes out at the very heart of interpersonal conflict. All right? Today we have a challenge of the conflicts, verses 10 through 12. He set the standard. Now let's see how this church in Corinth and perhaps churches in other places has deviated from that standard. Verse 11, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Paulos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Paul does not begin with the term conflict. First, he calls them to unity. He uses the word exhort here. I exhort you, all right? That is not a command. It's different than a command. An exhortation is a warning. It is a an appeal to you to consider what he is saying. He's not commanding you. He's not going to beat you over the head with unity and division. He wants you to understand what he's saying. He wants you to consider what he is saying. So he gives you an exhortation. All right? Verse 10 tells us to all agree. Well, that's almost an impossibility. Is it not? That every one of us in this room would agree with everything that's involved in this church? Of course we would not. So our translators kind of made us get stuck in the road here when he says that all would agree. Uh, look at it like this. 
It can also be interpreted in the Greek to be this way, that you all would speak the same. All right? So we don't have to necessarily agree mentally on every issue in the church because you and I are different people. We have different convictions. Amen? We have different feelings. For us all to agree every time on every subject in the church would be impossible. But for us all to speak the same about a topic, then, and now I can understand a little better what he's meaning by that. I have an opinion about abortion. You have an opinion about abortion. A man has an opinion about abortion. A woman has an opinion about abortion. Will they all be the same? No. But we speak the same about abortion. Amen? Do you understand, church? That's how we do it. You may say, well, I agree with it if the mother's life is in danger. Another person may say, I disagree with it across the board. Those two opinions are in the same group, church, congregation. But when we speak out about it, we speak the same. We are opposed to abortion. Do you understand that? Let me show you on the screen, Romans 14, 1. Paul also wrote this letter. He says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Okay? So an old mature saint in the church and a brand new believer come together and they get into a discussion about something in the church. The old mature believer will have an opinion. The new young convert will have an opinion. Maybe not where he will end up, but where he is now. What does Paul tell that old mature believer? Accept him. He's your brother. He's your sister. She's your sister. Okay? So understand that we accept and we love and we speak the same thing about each other. We do not cause dispute. We do not speak out against each other. This is what he's talking about. You've got an opinion. Keep it to yourself. Until someone asks you, and then you share it with love and compassion. Amen? Don't, don't, don't start building walls. Don't start causing problems. Speak the truth. Speak with unity in mind. He goes on to give us a couple of more qualifications besides all speaking in agreement or all agreeing in the same. Those are also found there in verse 10. He says, that you all agree and there be no division among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, where would I find an example like that? Hey, go back to the beginning of the church, Acts chapter 1. Jesus has just ascended. Acts chapter 1. The disciples go back to the upper room where they held the Lord's Supper with Him the night of His crucifixion or trial. And there... The Bible says they were all gathered together in one mind. 
All focusing on one purpose, right? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then Peter gets up in the midst of them and he speaks about their replacing Judas. And whether they did it the right way or not, the Bible says they cast lots between two men and the lots fell to Matthias. So now they were in the same mind and now they've all come to the same judgment of choosing Matthias to take Judas's place among the 12. You see that? Jesus is in the focus of that group. Jesus is the head of that group. Jesus is in the mind and the judgments of that group of people. Here's what Paul says. Show yourselves mature by being, speaking the same thing, having the same focus, being of same mind, and being of same judgment about things. This will bring you to maturity. Guess what? Maturity and unity are inseparable. When you see a church that is united, you see a mature church. When you see a church that's divided, you see an immature group of believers trying to come together to handle life's road. Maturity and unity are a sign that are inseparable in Christ's church. It's important that we see that. It's important that we understand this is Paul's writing to us. God's blessed you with grace and provided all this for you as a church. And now I hear that there is division among you. Let me tell you how to fix it, he says. Gail read to us earlier Ephesians 11, 4, I'm sorry, 4 through, chapter 4, 11 through 16. I'll spit it out. And in that text, you heard these words that we are fitted together. Amen. By everything that God supplies each member. Each of you has a purpose in this church. And we are all fitted together for what? For the growth of the body in love. That's the purpose God put you together. He didn't put us together to have our own opinions. He didn't put us together to have my way over your way or your way over her way or this way different from that way. He put us together so we would grow together, so we would be united together, so that we would be mature together, so that we would be a light shining in a dark place. When a church is divided, who would want to join a group like that? No one. Amen? But when a church is united and loving each other and gathered together, and people walk in that door, they feel it and they know it in their spirit. And certainly they want to be a part of a church like that. I'm not preaching this today because I think we have trouble here at Aaron Springs. I'm preaching this today because God started us off with the blessings and he said, keep on going in 1 Corinthians. I said, okay. Guess what? This disunity in Corinth takes up four chapters. I'm praying God doesn't make me preach all four of them chapters, okay? 
I hope we get to move on past disunity today, being united. I always feel your love in this church. I always feel your grace, your forgiveness, your kindness in this church, your servanthood in this church. Amen? But we have to go with the whole counsel of God, right? We can't just pick and choose what we want to hear and get our ears tickled. And so, Paul is not telling us here to all sing the same note. When we sing together, I hear a lot of notes, right? I hear my note, I hear Gail's note, I hear other people's notes. Paul's not saying all of you need to sing the same note, but he is saying all of you sing the same song. Amen. Amen. And when we do that, we harmonize, and it sounds beautiful. Amen. That's what God wants us to do. What happened to this church with its conflicts? Well, number one, it's, it got out into the neighborhood. How do we know? Well, look what Paul says. For I have been informed in verse 11. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Paul is way off somewhere else. Chloe, whoever that is, is on a trip, a vacation, a business trip, whatever. She runs into Paul wherever he is at this time. And she says, man, that church back in Corinth is fighting like cats and dogs. They can't get along. They're discouraging. There are conflicts everywhere. What's going on? Paul, and Paul asked her, and she says, some of them are saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Who's that? Peter. Some of them said, I'm even of Christ. The problem with the church is that it doesn't stay within the church. It goes out and it's broadcasted all over the countryside. And everybody around knows that that church has problems. It doesn't stay in the church. That's number one. Number two, it is typically problems and conflicts are typically driven by personalities rather than spirit. Amen. Okay? Personalities rather than spirit. We are supposed to put those personalities aside and put them away and let the spirit lead us. The third thing, typically, it is a follower problem and not a leader problem. How do we know that in this church? It says right here. Some of you are saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is it Paul's fault that that church is in disarray? No. Is it Apollos' fault that that church is in problems? No. Is it Peter's fault? No. Is it certainly not the Lord Jesus' fault they're having trouble, right? It's not a leadership problem there. It's a follower problem. It's of people that are placing themselves under certain, typically, leaders in the church. And we're going to find something interesting. Turn to the right in your Bible, chapter 4, and look. I also have it on the screen if you don't want to turn. It says here about these problems that Paul is addressing in chapter 4, verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. So that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant on behalf of one against the other. Were these the leaders in that church back in our text that were causing the problem? No, Paul's just using figures of speech. 
We don't even know the names of the leaders in this Corinthian church that are dividing or being divided amongst by the people. All right? Paul says, I'm using myself and Apollos figuratively so that you will not become arrogant and try to stick to one church leader as opposed to another. All of these problems have been boiled down to pride. Okay? This pride we find also in our text. How do we see that? Look in verse 12. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul. I of Apollos. I of Cephas. Everybody in the church, apparently, I'm sure it's not every member, but the majority are picking and choosing leaders to fall in behind and to serve and go with and learn from. All right? What does that do? Well, it says, my leader's better than your leader. And my leader is stronger than your leader. You know what the most dangerous of those four groups is? The one who says, I am of Christ. How do we know that? Well, think of it. You guys are following men, Paul and Peter and Apollos, but I'm following Christ, and you're not. Division, right there, division. You see it? I'm of Christ. We are better. We are bigger, we're stronger, we're more spiritual than you. You guys follow those men, we're going to follow Jesus, and right there's a division in the church, and Paul addresses it. All four of these groups are really man-centered, okay? I know Christ is not a man, but the people that are following him in this group have made him and lowered him to a man figure equal with the other three. And so there's a problem in the church. My group is superior to your group. We have to be careful of that. All four of these are exclusivism. My Sunday school teacher is better than your Sunday school teacher. I'm going to go to this class because it's, a, it's a, got more people in it. I'm going to go to that class because I like the teacher more than I like the other teacher. I want this music minister. I want that music minister. I want this youth pastor. I want that youth pastor. I want this preacher. I want that preacher. You see what happens? Pride. We get, we get divided. We get uh, in a group setting which creates a problem. And here's how Paul addresses that in verses 13. Look what he says. Has Christ been divided? Have you chopped up Jesus and spread him around so each of you can have a piece of him? And then you can feel better about yourself? He says Christ is over any man. Salvation is not by the work of men, it is by the work of Christ. Okay? All of these groups took pride in their group. I am of this one and I am of that one. Christ is not divided. If Christ is not divided, then how can his body be divided, Paul asked. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, did they die on the cross for you? No, Christ shed His blood for us. And then he goes even further and talks about baptism. Does baptism uh, help us? No, baptism is me testifying to the fact 
that Jesus died for me. So I can't get baptized in Paul's name because Paul didn't die on the cross for me. In fact, all of us here and all of the believers, Paul is reminding them, all of you were baptized in the name of Jesus, not Paul or Apollos or Cephas. So Christ is not divided. We are not saved by Paul. We are saved by Christ and His shed blood. And our baptism testifies to that fact that we were all baptized in Jesus' name. Paul burst their bubble, right? Some of them said, hey, I was baptized by Peter. woo The celebrity. I was baptized by Apollos, the Greek intellectual. I was baptized by plain old Paul, the blind, crippled old man. Right? So Paul burst their bubble and he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. I did baptize a couple and I might have, if I remember right, baptized a family. But other than that, I don't remember baptizing any of you. He's going, you think you're baptized in Paul's name? No, we're baptized in Jesus' name. How is a united church keeping one mind and one purpose and one goal? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, now Paul goes on uh, after bursting their bubble about baptism. And he says this in the end of the text. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Paul puts the gospel over baptism. Paul puts the gospel over the Lord's Supper. Paul puts the gospel over every single thing that a church does and does not do. Paul put the message of Christ first. Amen. When he came to another church, he said, I came to you not knowing anything but Christ crucified. Amen. That's the gospel message. And Paul says, you're getting wound up in who baptized you? Let me tell you something. That means nothing. What matters is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Above and beyond and over everything that happens in a church. Why is that important? Because the gospel takes prominence. The proclamation of it is superior I was involved in a prison ministry and there were many denominations that came together for this ministry. And the head of the the leadership of that ministry got up and said and told us this. When you go into the prison, I don't want to hear any denominational things. I don't want to hear about once saved, always saved. I don't want to hear about losing your salvation and being resaved. I don't want to hear about baptism saving you. I don't want to hear about foot washing being a church ordinance. I want you to preach the gospel. Amen? Amen. The gospel is over everything that we do in this church. So when we vote for something, the gospel is first. Whatever we're voting for is secondary. 
The gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, the forwardness of the gospel, the kingdom of God, all of those things must come before we make other decisions about secondary things in the church. When a Christian or a group of believers in a church desire to be noticed or desire to have their way put forward or their way listened to, here's what happens. We are no longer... uh, joined together in unity and remembering the things we have in common, now we've made a distinction between ourselves and now we are competing with each other on the things that we have that are different than each other. You see that? A group in a church, in a group in a church, must always put the gospel on top and remember what we have in common, not what we have in differences because the division will be rampant and the church will split right down the middle. We can't let that happen, amen? We can't let that happen in this church. We can't let it happen in today's church. We can't let it happen in our church. So how can a church find the unity that we're looking for? We, as individuals, surrender our rights Colton read Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at that again. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let me back out of that. Here's what it says. Paul says, have this attitude in your mind that was also in the mind of Jesus. He was and is God above everything. And he left that behind and he humbled himself to come down here and take the form of a man. And then while he did that, if that wasn't enough, he became obedient to the point of death on a cross. Wow. Paul says, you think like that. How does the church become united? I put your opinion over mine. I put your opinion over mine. I think more highly of you than I think of myself. I look at the gospel. I keep it up front. If what you want in my spirit, I know, will proclaim the gospel of Christ in this church, and mine might or might not, God says, humble yourself, Clay, and go with them. Their way will proclaim the gospel. Their way will advance the kingdom. That's what he's telling me. Humble myself, give in, take a lower position at the table, as Jesus told us in a parable, amen, a story. So when you become willing to suffer loss, For the advancement of Christ and His kingdom, this is the beginning of unity. Verse 17, that's what he said, all right? So, 1 through 9 gives us all the blessings that we have in common. 10 through 17, he tells us, here's what I hear about you. There's division among you. And I'm going to burst your bubble a little bit about the baptism. But now let me burst your bubble some more, okay? Verse 18. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Now here's why we take that out of context. Because it seems like Paul just quit what he was talking about and he goes into a whole new subject or a whole new topic. But stick with me, he didn't. What is he saying there in verse 18? He says, you think, church, you have position or prominence or some special favor because you're a Christian. And he says in verse 18, the cross, the gospel, the message of the cross is foolishness to those outside those walls. They have no standing with God because of the cross and the message. They think it's foolish. They don't receive it. They don't want it. They're not going to get it. They have no standing with God. Okay? I said, okay, I can understand that. The people outside the church, they don't have an understanding. They don't have a standing with God. They think the cross is foolish. But now Paul's going to burst our bubble. Look at verse 26. For consider your own calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are. So God says, through Paul, you got these divisions because of your pride. And you, church, you realize that outside, those people have no status with God, no standing, no understanding, But now Paul says, but I want you to turn your focus in upon yourselves and look across your congregation and look who's here. Not many mighty, not many wise, and not many noble. God has chosen the weak. God has chosen the base things. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put down the people who think they're wise and noble and mighty. Wow, what a chapter. This is what we have in common, the grace of God. Don't let division come in among you. Why? Because it will divide and destroy you. The church, the people outside have nothing to do with it in here. The people inside are not mighty, noble, and wise. God chose the weak things. God chose the humble people, the meek people, the mild people. God has chosen. So you think you have position enough that you can get in a group in your church and talk about the other people. God says no. Because you're boasting. Now let's finish the chapter. Verse 30. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see that? So when you get in a group situation in your church, boy, you better humble yourself. You better get as low as you can get because God chose you here and God put you here. Not so that you could brag about your group or downplay the other group, but so that you could boast in Him that He looked out across this world and He saw you. And He extended His hand to you and His Spirit called you and you reached up and took God by the hand, and now you are saved. Now you're free. Now you are a part of His family. By your doing? No. By God's doing. Amen. Amen. That's chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. It's God who's done it. Don't get in a group and elevate yourself over your brothers and sisters. God put you here. God wants you to serve here. The gospel is preeminent. Amen? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your blessing to us and putting us in our place and letting us see that it is all by your hand, Father, that we are even able to get up and come and worship you. I praise you, God. I pray that you remain here and keep us united. I pray that you continue to work in us and give us a vision for the future. And Father, I pray that you restore any relationships that are broken. I pray that your spirit has control of every heart. I pray that we surrender to you right now in this moment of invitation. Father, I love you. And I know that by my love for my brothers and sisters... All men will know that we are Christians. Help us to love like that. In Jesus' name, amen.